Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Disgraced attorney Alec Murdoch got a double life sentence this morning after the jury declared him guilty of double murder on Thursday. In his final words in court, Murdoch maintained his innocence. Congressional Republicans are once again at the southern border. Democrats are also planning a trip of their own. This as President Biden's border policies are under scrutiny from both the left and the right. America's largest gathering of conservatives is meeting at the nation's capital. Find out who spoke at the conference and who declined their invitation. And we examine Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's memo to the military. What he says about the China threat and analysis from a retired Air Force general. Former high-profile lawyer Alec Murdoch was sentenced to life in prison today for the murders of his wife and son after a jury declared him guilty yesterday. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. All right, Mr. Murdoch, I sentence you to the State Department of Corrections on each of the murder indictments in the murder of your wife, Maggie Murdoch. I sentence you for the term of the rest of your natural life. State Judge Clifton Newman sentenced disgraced attorney Alec Murdoch to life in prison on Friday for the gruesome murders of his wife and youngest son in June 2021. The jury declared Murdoch guilty on Thursday after less than three hours of deliberations. One juror told Good Morning America they reached a unanimous decision after only 45 minutes. Everybody was pretty much talking. And know, about 45 minutes later, we, after all our deliberating, we figured it out. After the verdict, the prosecutor told Good Morning America the jury came to the right decision. They looked him in his eyes, uh, much as I've had the chance to do, and uh, realized who this person really was. And I think that really uh, was the final thing that led this jury to, uh, to come to the right conclusion. Before the sentence was ordered, the convicted murderer maintained his innocence. And I tell you again, I respect this court, but I'm innocent. I would never, under any circumstances, hurt my wife Maggie, and I would never, under any circumstances, hurt my son Pawpaw. The judge responded. And it might not have been you. It might have been uh, the monster you become when you take 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 opioid pills, maybe you become another person. In further comments, the judge said this was one of the most troubling cases he's seen. He acknowledged seeing the former attorney several times in the legal community. After the sentencing hearing, the defense repeated claims made during the trial that the prosecution didn't have great forensic evidence or an eyewitness. One attorney told CNN he was surprised the deliberations didn't take longer. After the sentencing, the convicted killer was released into the custody of the South Carolina Department of Corrections. The defense attorneys plan to appeal the decision within 10 days. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The White House gets pressed on President Biden's decision to block a D.C. law. And there's an unusual reaction from the president when the press asks him, about the origins of COVID. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. 
President Biden said he would side with Republicans in overturning new D.C. laws that will lower penalties for crimes like carjackings. And the White House now doubling down on its defense of Biden's decision, even as some Democrats say Biden betrayed his commitment to support D.C. home rule. He believes in keeping the 700,000 residents in D.C. safe. And so he's taking that action because it's coming to him. Biden said on Thursday that he would not veto a GOP-sponsored bill to block D.C.'s new criminal code. The code put forward by the D.C. Council would reduce penalties for certain violent crimes. But Biden's position came after the White House originally said in February that the administration opposed bipartisan legislation that would block the code from becoming law. And the White House on Friday getting grilled on that about face. Um, there was never a change of heart on where we were, um, the president supporting D.C. statehood. The GOP-sponsored bill, which managed to pass the House, even with a majority of Democrats opposing it, is expected to pass the Senate with bipartisan support. Meanwhile, on another front, Biden has still yet to offer any public comments on the latest assessments of COVID origins that are pointing to a lab leak in Wuhan, China. And on Friday, the president seemed like he was going to speak to the press, but turned away upon hearing my question on COVID origins. Watch. And as lawmakers call on administration to declassify all intelligence on the matter, the new House Select Panel on COVID Response will hold its first hearing next Wednesday on COVID origins. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tao, NTD News. And Biden's doctor said today that a lesion removed from the president's chest last month was basal cell carcinoma, a common type of skin cancer. In a letter to the White House press secretary, Dr. Kevin O'Connor wrote that all cancerous tissue was successfully removed and that no further treatment was required. And congressional Republicans are yet again making their way down to the southern border. And later this month, House Democrats are reportedly taking a trip of their own to the border. NTD's Melina Weiskup has more. Texas Senator John Cornyn led Senate Republican Whip John Thune and a handful of others to the Rio Grande sector. Here's Senator Cornyn speaking on the Senate floor yesterday, previewing today's trip. We'll get an up-close look at one of the Border Patrol's processing centers. If we're going to have a shot at fixing this mess, which can only happen on a bipartisan basis, that everyone needs to know what we're up against. Democrats will reportedly make their own trip to the border roughly two weeks from now, after skipping the Republican-led Judiciary Committee's first field hearing in the border city of Yuma, Arizona, Democrats calling it political theater. Now Democrats on the committee are expected to go to Brownsville and McAllen, Texas. Illegal immigration encounters, while still hitting record highs, dropped sharply in January. The Biden administration touts its recently enacted expanded parole as the reason for the decline though some remain critical. Uh, the Biden administration's plan is to funnel would-be illegal migrants through the ports of entry. That's plainly having an effect, but that doesn't make uh, their presence in the United States any more legal. It simply makes it slightly more orderly. This policy is now being challenged in federal court by a group of 20 GOP states led by Texas. Meanwhile, a group of Democrats is unhappy with Biden's latest asylum rule. It could penalize those who cross the border illegally without first asking for protection in a country they have traveled through on their way to the United States. 
A large group of Democrats has condemned this, saying they are deeply disappointed. I stand before you today urging this administration to reverse course on Title 42 and the proposed asylum transit ban. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle acknowledge the need for asylum reform. And earlier this week, Senator Tillis explained to me how it's abused. Transnational criminal organizations are making almost a billion dollars a year in human trafficking. They've got like a marketing campaign. They advertise how they can get somebody from some other country through safe third countries to the United States. And then they coach them on what you need to say to have some semblance of a valid asylum claim. Tillis is now working on bills to address border security and provide a pathway for dreamers, trying to break the gridlock on immigration in the divided Congress. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. America's largest gathering of conservatives is meeting in Washington, D.C. However, two prominent conservatives who may run for president in 2024 declined their invitations. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Hundreds of people gathered in Washington, D.C. for this year's Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC. It's America's largest gathering of conservatives, and speakers discussed the issues Americans face, as well as the solutions to those issues. This year, two potential presidential candidates declined invitations to the event, former Vice President Mike Pence and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Sebastian Gorka, a former deputy assistant in the Trump administration, brought up this key issue facing Americans. If you take every war we have fought in since the end of World War II, so from 45 to today, you can add up every soldier, airman, marine, sailor, and coast guard who has died. The number of total killed in action, total in 70 years, is 103,000. On Biden's CDC website, you can find this stat. In the last 12 months in America, deaths by fentanyl poisoning totaled 110,000 Americans. He advocated for secure borders to help stop the crisis. Representative James Comer also discussed an idea that he hopes gets passed. One thing I've noticed in six years in Congress, I've been in Congress six years, it, it seems like the members get worse, most of the members get worse the longer they stay. One of the greatest things that this Republican majority can do, and I hope we do it, I'm for it 100%, is pass term limits. We need term limits. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene announced her new bill called the Protect Children's Innocent Act. It would make it a felony to perform anything to do with gender-affirming care for children. But it's not just conservative Republicans that agree with this. This isn't a right-wing extremist idea, everyone, that we should protect children from making a horrible mistake. Because many of these kids do realize it's a mistake and they hate what they've done to themselves. And then they're left with lifelong disabilities by the people that are making billions of dollars mutilating their genitals. And Representative Byron Donalds added what he thinks is a key issue to America's survival. And I remember people would have their political debates and you would have family members say, oh no, we don't talk politics at the table. We're here to eat and enjoy each other. And somewhere along the way, we've had families become divided just over politics. Other speakers at CPAC on Friday were Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Former President Donald Trump will be the keynote speaker at CPAC on Saturday. You can watch live coverage of CPAC on NTD. Jason Perry, 
NTD News. Attorney General Merrick Garland is the latest Biden administration official to make a surprise visit to Ukraine. It comes as the U.S. announces additional military aid to the country. Garland visited the city of Lviv in western Ukraine today. While there, he attended a conference on human rights and met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Ukraine's prosecutor general. During the meeting, Garland reportedly reaffirmed U.S. determination to hold Russia accountable for war crimes. The Justice Department says the trip was not announced for security reasons. On the same day as Garland's visit, the Biden administration announced the latest military aid to Ukraine worth $400 million. It comprises primarily ammunition. But it will also include, for the first time, tactical bridges to move tanks and armored vehicles. China's increasing aggression and push for an authoritarian world order must be dealt with. That's the message from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to the U.S. military yesterday. So what's the shape and nature of this threat, and what will it take for the U.S. to meet that challenge? Earlier today, I spoke with retired United States Air Force Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, now serving as a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, for his perspective. General Robert Spaulding, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be back. Now, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin told the armed forces in a memo yesterday that China is trying to reshape the world order and that the U.S. needs to prepare for a confrontation. How high is that risk right now, do you think? Well, in terms of a confrontation, I think the, it's already occurring. It's occurring at the U.N., it's occurring at the World Trade Organization, the World Bank, the IMF, across every international institution. Where um, I think the Secretary of Defense may be going is the potential for armed uh, confrontation exists. I think the uh, the bigger problem right now is just their attempt to move the world order into um, a, a range that suits their interests and really doesn't suit the, that of the United States or any other free country. Just last month, the Navy's secretary said the U.S. can't match the number of ships in China's fleet. 340 at last count, whereas the U.S. has 280. If China, say, tries to invade Taiwan, ships will be key tools in that fight. Some experts have said that U.S. ships are more advanced, so there are fewer. How do you see the Navy's readiness in the context of Taiwan? Well, it's not just um, the number of ships, but it's also the number of weapons that the Chinese can bring to bear both from ships and from shore because they're so close to Taiwan. So when you're looking at that conflict, you have to keep in mind that we're way away from uh, America's shore and, and very close to China's shore. Uh, and in that case, I think the numerical superiority is definitely in China's favor. Our entire industrial base is inadequate now. You know, the question remains, should we try to match China ship for ship? I don't think that's the right uh, answer. But what is the right answer is restoring the defense industrial base and the overall industrial base of the United States in a way that, quite frankly, we've allowed to erode over the last 30 years. And most of it has gone to China. So when you allow um, China to be your manufacturer, uh, then you lose the ability to manufacture for yourself. So if China becomes an adversary in a military sense, we're in big trouble. So we need to think more in terms of how do we have productivity in America? How do we restore our industrial base? But it's really about economic opportunity for Americans. That's what really makes us such an attractive place, not just building weapons or trying to match China ship for ship.
Chinese media is reporting moves that look like it's increasingly readying the country for war, announcing thousands of air raid shelter evacuation points and wartime mobile phone broadcast information. We had the People's National Congress last month adjusting its martial law rules. How soon do you think China might be to launching an offensive, say, against Taiwan? Well, we really have no way of knowing. Um, the, the, the first question you have to ask is, do they have the military capability to do it? I absolutely believe they do. And so it really becomes then a choice of when, and it's their choice. Uh, right now, we don't have sufficient deterrence, I think, to prevent them from doing it. We've waited too long. It's been 30 years that they've allowed to build up a mass of weapons and capability on their side of the strait. So, um, and we're not going to be able to catch up in any time soon before they could potentially uh, launch an attack. So I think we have to be prepared to support the Taiwanese, whether it's evacuation or resupply or some kind of humanitarian aid. But, you know, the, the chance is very high that China moves within the next five years, uh, potentially within the next two years. And, you know, our ability to respond militarily in terms of blunting that or stopping that, you know, we've lost that ability because we've waited so long to match their capability. You've said that America needs a China detox plan. What would that look like to you? Well, it's really about getting China, the Chinese Communist Party, out of America. Uh, out of, we, and unfortunately, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has co-opted co the Chinese people. So now, you know, because of the way the Chinese Communist Party rules China, they use each of the Chinese citizens as spies or, you know, uh, or influencers or in, uh, in many different ways in terms of being part of the overall effort that the Chinese Communist Party takes in undermining the faith and confidence of free people in their system, in, in the system of democracy. And so getting those people and those, um, those capabilities out of our social, cultural, political, academic, financial, economic, you know, spheres is very important. So that's what I mean. Detox is really about getting the Chinese Communist Party out. They're using the fact that they're within our system to really pit Americans against Americans in a way that really, you know, begins to erode the social fabric. And so we have to recognize that's their plan. We have to recognize they have the capability to do it because of globalization, the Internet, and the fact that they are within our society. And we have to begin the process of getting them out. So getting toxins out of your system is part of detox. Getting the Chinese Communist Party out of our system is what I'm talking about. General Robert Spaulding, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, thank you so much. Thank you. Up next, a storm system is hitting states in central and southern U.S. It's expected to move toward the northeast and dump heavy snow in the coming days. And in college basketball, a hallowed scoring record that stood for more than 50 years is suddenly in jeopardy. NTD's Dave Martin has the latest. That and more coming up. The winter storm continues to batter the country. Hundreds of thousands of people are without power, and a number of states in the south are reporting tornadoes. 
A storm system has brought golf ball-sized hail and tornadoes to southern states, stretching from Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee to Alabama and Georgia. Texas and Louisiana also reported six tornadoes on Thursday. The area around me, I'm sure you can see behind me, uh, this is this kind of looks like it was ground zero. The greatest amount of damage is in, right in this little area. But there is some residential damage in, in the neighborhood to the west of us, and there's a pretty good bit of damage in the neighborhood, South Broadmoor neighborhood to the east of us. More than 60 million people are under threat of severe storms Friday. Nearly 80 million people from Mississippi to Pennsylvania are under high wind alerts, including almost the entire state of Tennessee. Nearly 25 million people are under flood watches from Oklahoma to Ohio. According to PowerOutage.us, over 310,000 customers were without power in five states as of Friday afternoon. The storm system is continuing to march toward the northeast on Friday. The National Weather Service says the storm will produce a swath of heavy snow from the upper Midwest through New England Friday and Saturday. Parts of New York and New England could see as much as a foot of snow. The storm could bring snow and ice to cities including Chicago and Detroit. Parts of California are also bracing for another round of snow and rain on Saturday. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And a suspect in California has been arrested after police found large amounts of explosives in his home. Police say the suspect is connected to two explosions of PG&E transformers. NTD's David Lamb has that story. 35-year-old Peter Karasev is in custody for allegedly possessing large amounts of explosives. San Jose police also suspect him of being connected to two PG&E transformer explosions. Law enforcement were on site since Wednesday investigating the South San Jose's residence two-story home. Police say the suspect lived with his wife and two children, who were currently safe at a different location. There's so much material in there that we've had to call in some federal resources to assist us with uh, the proper handling and, and rendering safe of uh, this evidence that's here. Authorities believe there were also narcotics activity at the residence. We want to make sure that the suspect is held fully accountable uh, for everything that we believe he's responsible for. According to SJPD, they've already evacuated some nearby residences in case there is a blast while handling the explosives. Sergeant Camarillo says there's many layers to this investigation and that it's a tedious search as the bomb technicians have to go through the material. Now, a resident told us that she hopes there will be a positive outcome and that she feels for the neighborhood, the suspect's family, and the suspect. Very surprised because we lived in the neighborhood for close to 40 years, and it's really a nice neighborhood. We've never had problems either with the school or the surrounding area. But this was really, um, this was devastating to know that this is your neighbor and you don't know who they are and what they're doing. The investigation is at the 600 block of Potomac Court near Gunderson High School. I think it's a good wake-up call to know who your neighbor is, too. Because a lot of people that live here both go to work. You don't see them. You don't really uh, correspond with them like you should. Like I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, so I always knew everybody on my block and even below where I lived and up near 6th, 7th Avenue, you always knew neighbors. I just hope this has a good outcome for the family and I feel sorry for the fella, I really do. SJPD said the on-site investigation may take up to another five days and it stems from two separate incidents involving explosions of PG&E transformers on January 5th and December 8th. 
Karasev is scheduled to be arraigned Friday with nine felony charges. Reporting in San Jose, California, David Lamb, NTD News. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Detroit Mercy star Antoine Davis came up just three points shy of tying Pete Maravich's all-time NCAA scoring record last night in what might be his final game. Davis scored 22 points in the loss, which was in the quarterfinals of the Horizon League tournament that ended the Titans' regular season with a 14-19 record. His only hope for breaking the mark now is if Detroit Mercy gets an invite to the NIT or another postseason tournament. The 6'1 guard has been remarkably consistent, leading the conference in scoring for all five of his seasons while averaging more than 25 points per game for his career. Maravich, who graduated from LSU in 1970, averaged 44 points per game, but played just three seasons as NCAA rules back then prohibited freshmen from playing on the varsity. And in Olympic sports, Katarina Nash, who's represented the Czech Republic in two winter games as a cross-country skier and three summer games as a cross-country mountain biker, avoided a four-year ban for doping after authorities confirmed that a very minute trace of a banned substance was found to be from her administering a liquid medicine to her sick dog. The U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, which administered Nash's tests, cleared her after pouring small amounts of the medicine, called Entice, on their own hands and testing positive themselves. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has 10 games planned featuring the LeBron James-less LA Lakers in action hosting the Minnesota Timberwolves. LeBron is scheduled to be out for three weeks with an injured tendon in his right ankle. And finally, for you hockey fans, five games are on tap for tonight, including the Edmonton Oilers and leading scorer Connor McDavid, who's on pace for a whopping 156 points, which would be the most in the league since 1996. They host the Winnipeg Jets. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.